Hi, and welcome to Chart of Fortune, the astrology podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and this week, I'm unearthing an early 2010s reality show, Married to Jonas. It's almost Valentine's Day, and Married to Jonas seemed to perfectly embody how I feel about that holiday. It's superfluous, and no one is actually quite sure why it was created. And the same is true for this show. It's ridiculous, and no one, and I mean no one, asked for or needed it. It's here that I should admit I do have some serious Jonas Brothers expertise. I, though wildly age-inappropriate at the time, have been to a Jonas Brothers concert. I wore a Jonas Brothers shirt to said concert. A dear family friend was handpicked by the Jonas Brothers to sit on stage while they serenaded her. I have listened to almost every Jonas Brothers CD multiple times. I followed the Miley Nick... Niley? Mick? relationship drama, and the Taylor Joe Jonas drama back in the day. And I solemnly swear on my DVD copy of the Hillary and Haley Duff classic film Material Girls that if anyone who happened to attend this Jonas Brothers concert with me and happened to send me an incriminating photo of said concert, I'll post it on the Chart of Fortune Instagram. It was a baseball tee, homemade, with either a picture of Joe or Kevin's face on it, but the important part is I rocked it. But it's time to come clean about what I'm doing here, the real impetus for this podcast episode. I've been working on a multi-part series, and honestly, it sucks. It's boring, and for now, I've made the decision to scrap it. We don't need that in our lives. It was that feeling of when you try on clothes in a fitting room in a store, you know, pre-COVID, and then you'd have to put your old clothes back on and realize how sad those clothes looked. And I don't need that in my life. I needed to find something fun to talk about. I mean, we already talked about the COVID vaccine and presidential inaugurations, and it's barely February. I need to get back on the steady stream of reality shows and 2000 pop culture. Man does not live on bread alone, but if given the option, I would. And the second reason for this episode is that a scene in this show, Married to Jonas, has lived rent-free in my head since it aired in 2012. I've mentioned it at countless parties or social gatherings, And no one has ever once said, I remember that. That's so interesting. So I'm telling you, my dear listener, in the hopes that like getting a song unstuck from your head, I can finally be free from this obscure pop culture moment burden. I can share this deep, dark secret I've been hiding for a long time. And that is that in season one, episode two, we learn a dark truth about our leading lady, Danielle Delisa Jonas, and that is that she's deeply afraid of balloons. It's not that she doesn't like balloons. This unsettling revelation is unleashed when Kevin and Danielle agree to host a pre-pom party that is festooned with clusters of balloons on tables and a gigantic, brightly colored balloon arch. Danielle doesn't mention that she thinks balloons are tacky or that we have a global helium shortage and don't eat balloons, or that balloons can easily escape from a yard and then be consumed by a wild animal and cause a myriad of, you know, issues. No, our girl isn't some eco-warrior. She just is really freaked out by balloons. E's cameras cautiously pan to her inside her house, surveying the chaos just outside her tastefully appointed silver and beige interior. She says in her typical controlled monotone pitch, the slightest Jersey accent peeking through, It's the movement of the balloons and the hitting things. It just feels like it's out of control. 
She does make it through the party and later hides in the basement to surprise Kevin with a balloon-filled prom of his very own. This, of course, after Kevin had proudly declared he missed his own high school prom to go on a worldwide tour with Alvaro Levine. Because hell yeah, Kevin's the motherfucking princess. Wearing a strapless ruched mermaid dress made of salmon tulle and a sparkly belt, Daniel meekly welcomes Kevin into the last rite of high school social traditions. Their basement bedecked with the same Party City plastic banners and streamers a normal prime might, prom might have, and the Jonases dance the night away, or at least until the reality crew tells them to stop. True love waits for you in a basement. But there are some bright spots in the rewatch. Danielle is a 2010s fashion dream. No one ever rocked a peplum blouse and skinny dark wash jeans with more earnest tenacity than our girl. Sorry, Laura and Conrad. No one ever committed harder to wearing tightly curled updos on the regular. Maybe it's because Danny has a cosmetology license, or she doesn't have a lot else going on, but many a scene has her showing her love of a curling iron and full curly hairstyles. The most egregious being that style where you tightly curl your hair and pin it into a lower mid bun that you or someone you loved might have rocked at prom or a wedding. You know, it looks like lots of hair loops pinned to one another. This hairstyle, now dethroned by loose waves, once littered God knows how many a basic bitch wedding dreams Pinterest board in 2010 and onward. Congrats to the happy couple and the hundreds of bobby pins on their special day. Who knows, that up to, with the right amount of hairspray, might have lasted longer than some of those bridal party relationships. If you were a bride or a bridesmaid or went to a wedding during these dark fashion years of the early to mid-2000s, I want you to hear this from me. It's not your fault. We didn't know then that Tiffany blue, when worn by bridesmaids on table linens and on groomsmen's vests and bow ties, did not appear chic. It just proved that a blue with a green undertone is tough to wear and even tougher to look at en masse. If you were forced to get a thick fringe manicure, or manicure pedicure, or wear a dress with a lot of ruching, you might be entitled to compensation, or at least some petty revenge. Married to Jonas is an excellent show for the people who found newlyweds with Nick and Jessica both too explicit and too dramatic. For example, in lieu of the now infamous Tuna of the Sea controversy, Danielle threatens her husband with putting a banana in his bed which her entire family takes to mean something explicit. But Danielle, embarrassed, quickly explains that Kevin hates bananas and she would hide a banana in his bed to upset him as an act of revenge. Danny's married into Disney pop star royalty money, so she can waste produce if she fucking wants to. Thankfully, all involved accept Danny's quick explanation offered through her gritted teeth, which I thought was her being nervous, but it turns out that's just how she talks. When I looked at the chart of the show's premiere, I wondered what soft, sweet, and considerate sign would show up. Cancer? Libra? Maybe even a little kooky but kind Pisces? But no. When we pull up the chart for the Married to Jonas premiere, it's a Leo sun, Aries rising, Virgo moon. The first season premiered on August 19th, 2012 at 10 p.m. on the E! Network. And I'm using Denville, New Jersey for the birth city since that is where the majority of the show was filmed. Off first bat, the show does not have a fiery vibe that I would expect from a Leo sun and Aries rising. Yes, Kevin is a pop star, so maybe that Leo stardom is keying in there. But upon further reflection, the placements of the chart, more than the big three, really do sync up with the themes of the show. For example, the chart has Jupiter in 13 degrees of Gemini, 
And since we know the rising sign, Aries, Jupiter is in the third house of this chart. The third house rules themes of communication and school, but Jupiter, the planet of expansion, in this chart seems to be more focused on the other third house theme, which is siblings. Jupiter in a third house in a natal chart could suggest someone who is very communicative or has a lot of siblings. Danny has two sisters and a brother, while Kevin has three brothers. The siblings, all but Frankie, the youngest, and the bonus of the Jonases, appear in the show, and their relationships are central to most of the subplots that occur in season one. Her older sister, Dina, deserves the largest shadow of all of the siblings. It is a real art, in my humble opinion, to balance making flirty eyes at Joe Jonas, who clearly has eyes for her younger, high school-aged sister, while simultaneously reminding that younger sister she shouldn't have sex until she gets a giant wedding ring on her finger. Does Dina wish that she had married into purity ring pop star fame? Undoubtedly. She feels like a recovered party girl who seems perturbed that her unassuming younger sister could win the affections of someone who starred in both Camp Rock 1 and Camp Rock 2. And honestly, Dina is more fun to watch. She has sassy one-liners and terrible dance moves, and her love of aqua blue, it matches the eyes, is incredibly watchable. For inquiring minds, if you also really miss Dina, you can visit her overtly religious food blog on Instagram. God loves you, and you, and you, and he also really loves a 30-minute pasta dish the whole family can enjoy. I definitely did not in any way include a link to her Instagram in the show notes, because that would be weird. But check it if you want it. The moon in Virgo is in the sixth house of routine and health, and it could imply that there is some emotional need around establishing a routine at home, or being healthier, or maybe a job. Interestingly enough, Danny herself is a Virgo, and the show seems to hinge on her emotional, so moon, experiences of marrying into fame, using paper napkins for a dinner with her in-laws, much to Mama Jonas's chagrin, attending public events, and having her biological choices scrutinized by everyone around her. I remember Danny being a very young, very anxious person, and I rewatched the show. I found myself still empathizing for her very high levels of anxiety. But the more I watched, the harder it is to believe that Danielle was not on a very serious medication when she was filming. I say this without judgment. Having a chemical imbalance or a mental health issue isn't something that a single living person would choose to experience or wish on someone else, and getting help is nothing short of admirable. And honestly, I watched both seasons over one weekend, and I, I felt jealous. That's what I came away with. I'm an anxious person, and there is some small part of me that would feel totally fine spending a day wandering around my New Jersey mansion with my dog, a little high, maybe on Klonopin or Xanax. It could be a really nice break from my intrusive thoughts like budgeting or having a job or worrying about the government, the environment, the concept of my own mortality, the mortality of everyone I know and love, not to mention my special talent of my mind replaying all of the awkward things I've ever done. Not jealous enough that I would want to marry Kevin Jonas, but still. The show has its sun and Mercury in Leo, and that it falls in the fifth house of creativity, children, gambling, sex. And this is where some of these themes become really obvious. And holy toxic optimism, Batman. I am warning you right now, if you are not in a place to listen to female sexuality and reproduction, be spiritualized or picked apart, skip on ahead a little bit because this stuff is terrible. 
In episodes two and three, Kevin and Danielle are lectured about when they should have a baby. From everyone, including Nick Jonas, who can offer as much parenting advice as the dying Japanese maple tree outside my window. The brothers Jonai worry that a baby will throw off their comeback tour, which, as you might know, eventually implodes anyway, with no baby in sight. And on the other hand, Mama Jonas would like everyone to know that she had her babies while her husband was on tour preaching, and she did just fine. You know, because they all grew up and are totally well-adjusted. That's why they're famous, and had a weird purity ring controversy, and married other people who also want to be famous. It's totally normal. Mama Jonas and I swear so, on her extensive collection of geometric, geometric patterned butterfly sleeve blouses. But my frustration soon became a blind, white-hot rage when a family friend of the Jonas's, who looks suspiciously like Lou Pearlman, but with a beard, so my conspiracy theory is that it's Lou Pearlman, somehow broke out of federal prison and is in hiding at the Jonas compound in Dallas, says he prayed over Danny and Kevin for a child. He adds that Danny can't let anxiety rule her life and that God doesn't give you things you can't handle. So there simply isn't any room for you to be scared or unsure because when God gives you a child, it's a gift. It's never a mistake. Maybe it was all the odd taxidermy in the background of the Jonas compound or that man's sweat-stained polo shirt. Or maybe it was the complete lack of empathy and the repetitive blasé sayings that feel best suited for a religious e-card. It's really hard to know. We also see Saturn in 25 degrees of Libra in the seventh house of relationships. Now, Kevin is a Libra, but I think this is about the delays that Kevin and Danielle have in their own life as a married couple. Part of this is ultimately self-inflicted. Kevin often has to tour or leave their home to work, and Danielle invites her family to come over to their home any day, anytime, without exception. Arguably the most interesting aspect in this chart is the Pluto, which is in seven degrees of Capricorn in the 10th house of career and public image, which is forming a tight opposition to Venus in 11 degrees of Cancer in the fourth house of family and home. If you, like Chart of Fortune, use whole sign houses, the 4th house and the 10th house of your chart will always have opposite signs. That's just how it works. Pluto and Venus aren't in particularly strong signs, but the 4th house is often associated with Cancer, which is the 4th sign of the Zodiac, and Capricorn, the 10th sign of the Zodiac, is often associated with themes that revolve around the 10th house. Venus ruling our values, our resources, opposing the planet of power and rebirth, feels very intense, and it would be an intense aspect for anyone, let alone the chart for a fluffy reality show that dedicated half of an episode to digging a hole in the backyard mere days before a family birthday party. But there are diverging perspectives in the chart and the show when it comes to career and family, and that's what I think this aspect is about. Kevin feels like they don't spend an equal time with his family as they do with Danielle's, and when he does see his family, it quickly becomes a business meeting, which is upsetting to him. The public image that Kevin and Danielle have been asked to present, both by those around him and the media in general, is this pseudo-sexy young couple, and we see this during a photo shoot, which it doesn't really square with how they behave with one another and how they behave at home. They're asked to be something they really don't embody. And most obvious of all here, their home life, the fourth house, is now being filmed and put out on public display for anyone who happens to have a basic cable package. 
And it's money-making. It's part of their career. It's a chance to introduce Danielle. So those public image, that 10th house themes are really coming into play. Now, the second season was broadcast directly after What Would Ryan Lochte Do? Meaning the premiere happened at a later airtime of 10.30 p.m. Presumably, this later time was because only the most intelligentsia e-viewer would be willing to stay up a little later to indulge in this social commentary on the fleeting nature of fame, human sexuality, and the state of New Jersey. I guess we'll never really know why they scheduled it when they did. And what would Ryan Lochte do? Lie about being robbed at the Olympics? Become publicly shamed? Almost get thrown in Brazilian jail? Be barred from competition? How about all of the above, and then two years later, get barred from a competition again for purportedly using injectable steroids? Gee, boy! But worry not, because last summer, Ryan Lochte had a Peacock streaming exclusive documentary, ironically, ironically in my opinion, named In Deep. In Deep what? In debt? In need of media coaching? What about Ryan and his fading pop culture relevancy could be considered deep? I have not and will not watch this. But if you miss the Loch Ness Monster, then please indulge at your own discretion. But back to Mary to Jonas. For the, sec- for the chart for the second season, I use the new airtime of 10.30 p.m. and the same location of Denville, New Jersey. The second chart is a Taurus Sun, Sagittarius Rising, and a Virgo Moon. Since the second season premiere is a little less than a year after season one and about eight months after the first season wrapped, there's not a lot of change in the chart, especially with the outer planets. The second season premiere chart does have Mars in the first degree of Taurus and Venus in domicile, so in its home planet, at eight degrees of Taurus. In this chart, those planets are in the sixth house of routine, health, job, not career, job. Mars and Venus being conjunct in a birth chart is often viewed as auspicious. It might mean that the feminine and masculine parts of yourself work very well together and that you get to combine the power of Venus, which is, you know, being likable, being aesthetically attractive with Mars, which is the planet of doing and people being attracted to you. So in this, we also see, you know, it could imply that Danny and Kevin are a natural partnership, that their marriage really does have seemed to gel between seasons one and two. It's also important to note that the sun is also in the sixth house. I mentioned that it's a Taurus sun chart. So this is going to be a major focus of the second season as Kevin and Danny develop their own jobs, uh, you know, both of how they take care of their home and then also separately the things that they do for work. Kevin films a music video in New Orleans and Danny gets to go to a photo shoot in New York City. The sixth house also rules small pets. And that might mean that the couple have teamed up to finally house train their dogs. Shudder. We also see that the moon in Virgo is in the 10th house of the chart, meaning that Danny, the resident Virgo, might be the one getting a major career boost. It coincides with a several episode arc, which involves Danny getting a gig at Cosmo magazine to share family recipes and have a cooking photo shoot. Now, Jupiter is still in the sign of Gemini, but in this chart, it's moved into the seventh house of relationships. Mikey, Danielle's brother, ends up touring as an opening act for the Jonas Brothers. Jupiter conjunct your natal Jupiter, as it is here, is typically a time of expansion, growth, opportunity. In another sibling moment, Dina agrees to accompany Danny to her meetings at Cosmo. And in a reference to my previous week's episode, Dina asks the audience if she is the Miranda, Charlotte, or Samantha to Danny's Carrie. I had to wonder, is Daniela Carrie? 
We've never seen Danielle wear expensive heels or drink a Cosmo or rock a pink cowboy hat and a crop top at any of the outdoor parties she attended. I'm mostly sad these moments that I just mentioned didn't happen because they would have greatly improved the show. Dina, if you're listening, Danielle is at best a Charlotte. In the second season chart, Neptune is still in Pisces. Again, outer planets, they move really slowly. But it's moved into the fourth house of the home. That's because we have a different rising sign for this chart, so it moves where all the planets go. Kevin and Danielle contemplate if Kevin's dream, dreams Neptune classic, of moving to to New York really makes sense for them. The season's balloon confessional, a.k.a. the audience learning another dark truth about Danielle, occurs as she is lectured about her confidence by Mama Jonas and Kevin at a local coffee shop. The e-camera crew, now well-versed, pans out to reveal that Danielle, bedecked with patterned infinity scarf and sensible cardigan, is eating a blueberry muffin with a fork. A fork. Danny, babe, who hurt you? There is again some underlying tension uh, that we see in this relationship, but it happens in the third episode of season two. Danielle is offered a piece in Cosmo about entertaining family and friends at home, and this is very exciting, Kevin's super supportive, but the timing of the article and photo shoot means that she will not be able to attend part of the Jonas Brothers tour in South America, which ends in a huge fight. Kevin argues that he has to go. This is his job. Why can't she be supportive? Why can't she go with him? And she argues that she finally has something to do. She got a gig. Shouldn't he appreciate that she's trying to make something happen for herself? The first chart for season one had the sun and Mercury and Leo in the fifth house, right? But the second season doesn't have any placements in Leo, which is now moved to the ninth house rules travel. Also, the first chart had the north node of destiny in the ninth house travel that might have signified that the couple met while they were traveling for vacation in the Bahamas. But in the second season, the rising sign is in five degrees of Sagittarius, and that is forming a conjunction to that node. So in the first year, we had a north node in Sagittarius, and now it is connecting with a rising sign of five degrees in Sagittarius. It's clear that Kevin thinks it's obvious that Danny would drop everything and go on tour with him. He makes a lot of money. She doesn't have to work. This is the flexibility that they've built into their relationship. It's what a married couple does. It's what everyone's going to expect her to do. But Danielle feels like what other people do or whatever they think that married people should do doesn't really matter. I'm looking at you, Kevin and Mama Jonas. It's not as important to what people think as it is that people in the relationship that get a decision, like making ability, get what they want. Danielle mentioned several times that she doesn't feel like she has any decision-making power in many aspects of her life and choosing when to travel, especially accommodate this new work opportunity, is an emotional need that she has. But honestly, the most shocking part of the second season might be the random Chilean fan that has, let's be polite, and say a lower back tattoo with the words, the Jonas Brothers, and a color image of each of their album covers. I included it in in the clues for this week, and I'll probably be saving it as a highlight on my Instagram because it defies all explanation. To end this episode, I want to say that the best part of Married to Jonas occurred years after when Frankie Jonas reenacted Married to Jonas on TikTok. Danielle and her yellow scarf for hair have never looked more fetching. Now, before he gets canceled, all hail Frankie, the bonus Jonas. 
So whether you're a Danny or a Kevin, please remember that everyone and everything has a birth chart, but yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. If you have questions mentioned she didn't pay for, Chart of Fortune is researched, written, hosted, and edited by me, Elise Blaylock. No hazels were harmed in the making of this podcast. Until next week, bye! Ah, I just heard the news, guys. Thank you so much for this. This is such a big deal to me. I'm honored.